0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Take the Cake podcast. On this episode, I am joined by Mary Jelkovsky, aka Mary's Cup of Tea over on Instagram. Mary is a self-love influencer who has an amazing story of overcoming an eating disorder and the fitness industry and inspiring others to love themselves through her work online, over on her own podcast, and through her self-love retreats. She also just released her book, The Gift of Self-Love, which is a gorgeous workbook. I'm so happy and proud to be an owner of one myself. And Her mission is to help people build their confidence and finally learn to love themselves again. This podcast episode is special to me because it really feels like I am just having a casual, deep conversation with a girlfriend. I got off on so many tangents because I kept forgetting we were recording a podcast. I guess it's just Mary's Really nurturing energy. So we chat about her book writing process, relationships, self-worth, empowered goal setting, and dealing with haters and so much more. I know that you will take some inspiration, if not lots of inspiration from this episode. So get out your notepad and I hope that you enjoy the show. As always, I'm going to shout out a review I really, really appreciate everyone for leaving me ratings and reviews and the downloads. It means so much to me. So today's review is from A.Mode. It's titled, So Comforting and a Breath of Fresh Air. It says... Kate, the most recent podcast discussing how lemon water and apple cider vinegar have no proven health benefits was so, so, so helpful for me. I have been struggling with recovery for a while now and still keep a bottle of apple cider vinegar in the kitchen on hand just in case I mess up and eat too much of something. Thank you so much for being so honest and kind. Hearing that these silly little quote fixes don't have any data to back them up is helping me kick my ED down even more. Appreciate you so much. 20 stars to your podcast if I could give that many with a smiley face. This is so sweet and I love reading these so much. This review is referencing my most recent podcast before this one with Tai Ibitoye where we discuss some diet culture and nutrition myths that are need to be debunked. So I really appreciate this and keep going in your recovery. You're doing amazing and I'm really honored to be a voice. In your journey. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Mary. I hope you all enjoy. Hey, Mary. I'm Mary here. I'm so excited. I feel super honored to talk to you. We were just catching up and really getting to know each other for the first time. And I was just telling her about how much I feel. I just feel so lucky to have your book, your new book. And we're going to talk about that today. And we're also just going to talk about all the amazing work that you're doing. So please tell me your story. I know you have so many things to say, but just briefly tell me your story, how you ended up um, writing your book and getting to the place that you are today.
1: Thanks so much for having me on, Kate. I was just, I've been a fan, truly, (laughs) and it feels so cool to talk to you. Um, My story, well, I, how far back do you want to go?
0: Go, go as far back. I mean, go, go way back. So I I started struggling with a lot of
1: disordered eating when I was like 11 years old. I think that's when I just felt the pressure to be perfect, especially in the body sense. Um, And I was kind of like an early bloomer with my boobs and hips and things like that. And I found myself getting this like unwanted attention um, and really trying to like almost just like control people and what they thought of me, especially like boys and men and stuff. Cause it was just such a big theme in my life. And, um, yeah, I got really into like disordered eating and I didn't, obviously I didn't know it was disordered at the time because so many of my fellow friends, like in middle school, seventh, eighth grade, like that was the number one concern was being thin and pretty and attractive. Um, and so I started, it went from that It went like zero to a hundred real quick where I actually started struggling with bulimia. Although again, I didn't really know it at the time. Like I didn't know it was an actual eating disorder. Of course I had like a feeling that like, Hey, this I've read about this in like some book, you know, and maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but the desire to be thin just like overpowered everything. And when I got to high school, I actually danced a lot at this time too. So I was doing a lot of like ballet, um, and jazz at the studio And there was like a gym at the lower level of my dance studio. And one day before dance, I just wander in. And, um, my boyfriend at the time was like really into working out and we got memberships. So I started like running to the gym, like literally running. It was like two miles from my house Mm -hmm. and then going to the gym and then going to dance for like four or five hours and like just not eating during this time. Um and you know often like skipping breakfast and not really packing a lunch to school and it was just this cycle and then after dance i would come home and i would just binge um and that was like almost every day and i remember the days that i didn't i would have to like sit in the car on my way back from dance you know after my mom picked me up and i would just sit there and i would just like think i'd be like okay just walk in and like our garage door went to the kitchen. So like the first place that you walk in was the kitchen. I'm like, okay, like if you just put your head down, like close your eyes and just like walk through the kitchen upstairs to your bedroom, like you'll make it, you know? And I would like coach myself to like bypass the kitchen and skip dinner because I knew that if I started eating dinner after dance, then I would be up to like 10, 11 PM, just binge eating everything in sight, obviously, because my body needed, that food. Um, And yeah, it just like created this vicious cycle. Um, And then when I got to like sophomore, junior year of high school, like 10th, 11th grade, um, I started getting more and more into the gym and I wasn't taking dance as seriously. And so I think by my senior year, I like quit dance completely because I decided that I wanted to compete in bikini fitness competitions Um, because this gym that I went to was like really big on the competing world. and um, There were a lot of people that I was meeting that were doing this. And obviously I admired them. I admired their bodies and I wanted to do that. So I was 16 when I started training for my first bikini fitness competition. And I stepped on stage when I was 17 and that was crazy. I mean, it's like any kind of performance, it's a certain high that you get and there's the trophies and the applause and the, I don't know, on social media in the comments. And even my social media was starting to blow up and like the fitness world. Cause that's when it started getting really, really popular. And so I just got sucked in. And that year I did another show. Um, yeah, I was still 17. So I did both my shows when I was 17. I wasn't even 18 yet. And, um, yeah, it just like, it just consumed me. Like it was, it went from like disordered eating to like, maybe I have an eating disorder to fitness, which I say was a safe haven for my eating disorder. It was like what allowed it to just exist with so much social validation. um, Because it was just, I don't know, everybody kind of like admires the fit girl and people would call me like disciplined and Mm. in control and I wish I could be like you and train me and like random people would just like even girls from high school that hated me they would reach Mm. out to me can you can you send me a workout like all all the things okay it was all the things um and it's hard to get out when it just feels like everybody knows you as that like it, it was my identity um and then when I was 18 I trained for my third show. I remember it was like my 18th birthday and I was like, I'm going to lose my 18th birthday. (laughs) And, um, I ended up just, well, I call, I called it self-sabotaging back then, but I would say it was my body just trying to survive for whatever reason. Like anytime I would try to diet the way I used to, I just like, couldn't. And I would find myself at like food city in the middle of the night, stealing food, like that was like my lowest low because I couldn't afford my binge eating disorder anymore because it was expensive. Um, So I would just like put on a hoodie and a big sweater. So nobody would recognize me. I would go to food city, which was like outside of where I knew all my gym people shopped. Um, And I would just like steal cereal and peanut butter and just come home and binge. And that would start happening more and more often. And um, I think my coaches wife or girlfriend got involved because I was so young and I we didn't know each other personally, but I think he mentioned something to her. And anyways, long story short, she like messaged me on Facebook randomly and she's like, hey, there's somebody that I think you might want to see um if like your hormones are okay. And it was the naturopath who ended up like saving my life because she was the one who um the first one to tell me that like, hey, you cannot be doing this to yourself. Like this mm-hmm. is an eating disorder, your thyroid is all messed up. Your vitamin nutrient levels are just so low. Like how are you even surviving? And, you know, she, she kind of just mentored me, I guess, through that process. And, um, a few months later I ended up moving to Canada because I felt like I really needed to like, just get out. And I was so, I don't know, I was probably definitely trying to probably definitely <laughs> trying to run away from something like some part of myself. Um, It ended up serving me in some ways and then not serving me in others. But I got into this relationship. It was pretty, um, pretty toxic in the end. But getting out of Arizona and like this West Coast vibe and moving to Canada where it was like mountains and big sweaters. And I went to university. I really got to be like a college student for a little while. Um, just really, really helped me in recovery. Um, And then I ended up moving back from Canada after a couple of years. And um, I started sharing like that whole journey online and it led to so many things. It was like, you know, certain magazine publications, sharing my story and a lot of women coming and being like, Oh my gosh, I've been through this too. Um, Especially in like the fitness sense where everybody really obsessed with fitness. I guess now we see that as like orthorexia, right? Like the unhealthy obsession with healthy eating because it's so trendy these days. Um, And yeah, then I started hosting retreats for women because I just wanted to like connect more outside of social media. And I recently came out with my first book called The Gift of Self-Love. And it's not just, it's not really a memoir. Like I don't share the whole story there, but it's more of a workbook where um, I just, write about, well, I present certain exercises and tools that helped me so much. And hopefully they're like in this digestible format that could help other people too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. That was really lovely to hear. I already knew a lot of that stuff, but it was so nice just to hear it from you and um, hear it in that long form story. And I really resonate with you in so many ways. I was um, I was a competitive cheerleader and gymnast, so that whole performance-based, uh, you know. Oh my gosh, we had like the fake hair, the glittery eyes. Like it was the little teeny, teeny, tiny little I don't know uniforms and everything, and I loved it. I was obsessed with it. Um, and you know, I I also was really into the YouTube fitness. Uh, whatever that culture is, like the bikini competitions, like I never wanted to be in one, but I definitely used to watch all those YouTubers who used to like count their macros and do their workouts and like, I don't know, really manipulate their bodies. And as somebody who had an active eating disorder, which like you mentioned, like I didn't even really realize it then, or it wasn't, it wasn't this red flag in my life. It was just kind of something that I pushed way back inside of me. Cause I didn't want to deal with the reality of it. Yeah. My eating disorder really thrived just watching those people Mm -hmm. watching them say, okay, I have whatever it is like six months or whatever to transform my body and show it off. And then like, after they would finish that fitness competition, they would go and eat all, it would be basically like a binge. And so back then all of my eating disorder behaviors were so, so normalized in my own life that it didn't even seem like those people had eating disorders mm-hmm. or disordered eating. It just seemed like they were, like you said, disciplined. So yeah, it's just, that's really tough. And I'm really, I'm really happy that your body ultimately was like, Nope, this is, this is it. And I like that you don't really know exactly what happened with mm-hmm. your recovery. Cause that's exactly how I feel. Like a lot of people are like, what happened? What, why did you decide to recover? And honestly, I'm just like, I'm not really sure. I think it was just, rock bottom because there were a few things that really changed for me that, yeah. um, I can't really like put a, a time stamp on it, you know, it just kind of happened, which is cool. I think that's really cool to experience too.
1: That's validating. I think I read that on one of your posts because a lot of people have this like story. They're like, I was in the hospital and my mom sent me to treatment and love that. That is so great. Um, Mine was just like a little more unconventional where it was very much me figuring stuff out and like throwing spaghetti at the wall until something stuck. <laughs> <came back>. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, that's that's very validating because a lot of the biggest like breakthroughs and turning points of my life came from like the littlest things. Like, I don't know about you, but I could be having a conversation with just like a random person, like nobody that important in my life and they'll say something in a certain way at a certain time in my life and i'll remember it forever and it will literally change my life. Mm-hmm. um and a lot of my big like moments were like that. um they weren't like you know super dramatic and <laughs> maybe not that wouldn't make a great plot for like a movie but they were just really big for me.
0: Yeah, same, same here. I think that's really co- that's really good to know and I like to say too, like if anyone out there is listening and they feel like they're kind of like waiting for a sign or they're waiting for, I don't know, something to happen to them that feels validating enough that they're like, okay, now it's my, my turn. Like I'm sick enough or I'm ready to recover. Like, I don't know if you're going to get that. And I think that you should try and challenge that belief that you aren't worthy enough to heal. Um, So just want to throw that out there.
1: (laughs) And that's like with anything in our lives, like anytime you're even feeling like stuck or whatever, sometimes I catch myself being like, I I need to wait for something to happen and to change my life or something. It's often like outside of ourselves. Right. But we ultimately do have the power to like make that decision. I always say that
0: change isn't hard. It's the decision to change. Mm -hmm. It's those like daily hourly minute choices that you have to make, you know, give yourself Give yourself option A or option B. If at the end of the day you're having a really hard time finding that motivation, I think that's really those little choices add up ultimately. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what real recovery is. It's not black and white. We all know that it's not linear. It's just those little choices that add up. So that's really cool. Okay, I want to talk about your book and the process of writing it because personally, I mean, I do have a one friend who mm-hmm. is writing a book, but I. I'm very fascinated with the creative process as somebody who's married to a filmmaker, somebody who is creative. I'll call myself creative too. Uh, I really love just hearing about it. So tell me about, let's start actually at the beginning. Like, did you, when did you decide you wanted to write the book? And, uh, you know, what was that like for you? Just getting yourself into that place where you're like, okay, I'm going to write this book. Mm.
1: I, um, this book started off as a little ebook. It was like 80 pages that I put up on my website. And even before that, the original, like I had this, the confidence guide, I think it was like $3 on my website. And it was probably like 30 pages. Like that was the first, and it was just like little self-love challenges. And I saw that a lot of people were just leaving good reviews on it and always telling me how it's so simple and straight to the point. And that's what makes it powerful. Um, and then, yeah, then I like expanded it and I made it into this like 87 page guide that I called the body confidence guide. And a lot of people were like printing it out because it was a workbook. So I'm really big on like the workbook stuff Mm -hmm. as, um, you know, the power of journaling and putting pen to paper, not just reading words on a page, but actually forcing yourself to like self-reflect. Um, I saw that like people on my Instagram were tagging me because they were <laughs> printing out all 87 pages. I'm like, Oh, your poor printer. Like that ink is expensive. <laughs> yeah. And of course a lot of people were requesting hard copies and just logistically. I, I mean, I could have like self printed hard copies, but it would have been just so like the resources that go into printing books and mailing it out. Um, and so I was like, okay, maybe I should like consider actually publishing this in some way or creating some sort of game plan as to how can I get hard copies out to people because meanwhile my best friend has a business and they're like in the e-commerce but they sell a physical product and she kept telling me that at this time I was doing retreats and obviously not everybody can come to a retreat all the time um, because they're just so small and intimate and we usually go somewhere else and I really wanted to create like a retreat in a book or Something retreat like that could be accessible to as many people as possible. Um, and my girlfriend was just like, You should create a product, like something, maybe it is a book. And, you know, those two things combined. I reached out to a publisher after my ebook was selling really well. Um, and I just was like, Hey, I, I found them at Anthropology, which is a big full circle moment because as of two weeks ago, my book is now anthropology.
0: Mm, It's so cool. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And it's just a funny story, but the way that I found them is because they published a book by an author whose name is the same as my sister's spelled the same way. And she's a unique name. It's like Alana, but with an I I L a N a. So anyways, I just like it caught my eye. I looked on the back. I reached out. I remember it because my boyfriend was out of town and generally I wouldn't be at anthropology you know, late (laughs) (laughs) wandering around by myself. Cause I feel like, you know, so those little things, like, I feel like, Oh, well, if I was with my boyfriend, then highly unlikely I would take the time to even like pause. And Mm -hmm. anyways, um, I digress. Yeah. I reached out to them and then I went through like a series of interview processes and they publish a lot of like workbooks and coloring books and uh, like gospel stuff. Um, so they, they very much specialize in that. And it ended up just being really aligned and we signed a contract. And so that writing process was interesting because I had like an outline and I had a part of a manuscript because that ebook, The Body Confidence Guide, ended up being the rough draft for chapters five and six of this current book, The Gift of Self-Love. So it was all of part two. So I had the middle, the body image stuff, But my publisher really pushed me to do, to focus not just on body image, but on just self-love as a whole and making it like a very holistic type of experience for the reader. Um, So we created this whole outline where part one is about like setting the foundation of self-love and really defining what it is like beyond your body. Cause I think a lot of people in this space, like we think about self-love as like liking our body or liking how we look. And obviously that's just like the tip of the iceberg. Um, And then part two is about that body image aspect. And part three is just really tying it all together and bringing it out into the world. So um, that was interesting. It was definitely a challenge. (laughs) It was definitely a challenge. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear about the process of just getting your like book writing because, the whole publishing side of it. There's so many outlets you can do. You can do the hybrid. You can do the full, full blown self publish. There's so many things. I'm learning about all this through my friend who's writing a book too. But that's so cool. That that seems like so many little. Just like we were talking about, so many little things adding up, and these little moments where you're like, this, this is it. This is so super validating. So I'm so happy for you. I I love the idea that your book is an anthropology because I just feel like that's such a perfect. I don't know, like audience and vibe, your book really feels that way. You know, it feels very like empowering and feminine. It is such a, like the whole pie chart. So you, maybe I shouldn't reveal this. Is it okay if I reveal? Okay, cool. So there's the whole self-love pie chart uh, section of your book that I love because I do think when we're struggling with our body image or when we we're struggling with self-love, a lot of times we can pinpoint it to one thing, Mm -hmm. like our body image or like this, Job that we don't have. It's like this one thing that we need to fix and figure out. But then the idea of the pie chart is that you have all of these buckets that kind of add up to this holistic idea of loving yourself and having good self worth and um, good self esteem and stuff like that. So I love, I just love that part of the book. And even for me, this book was really uh, workbook was really helpful. Um, So yeah, that
1: that was eye opening for me. That came from an exercise I did at an online retreat and. Um, you know, it was that I think part one is the self love formula. And then this pie chart is either a section in that or it's even the next chapter. But the whole point of like all these, I'm a little geeky when it comes to like words and definitions. But I think it's really important to draw distinctions in our minds, because the point of that is to A, give yourself credit where it's due. Like just because you're struggling with body image doesn't mean you're just an insecure person who's doomed for the rest of your life. Like, no, you're just struggling with this one little piece of the pie, but there's probably so many other areas that you do feel confident in um, because, you know, confidence, I define it in the book, but there's a difference between like confidence and self-worth in that you can build your confidence. It's, it's depending on like skills and things you get good at, you start getting more confident at. Um, and it's very like circumstantial, right? Like you can feel confident in one area of your life and not feel confident in another area of your life. Whereas self-worth is the one where it's like, it's just like an overall like underlying kind of vibe <laughs> where you, you have that self-worth. Um, but again, it could also like, it could waver. It could, it depends on the season of our life. And so the reason why I came up with that exercise is because just so many people were coming to me, like doom and gloom, not giving themselves any credit at all for the things that they were really not just like the achievements, but just, um, who they are as people and that body image aspect or the, the food part, it was just so consuming and it made it feel like that's, that's all there is to me. And if I'm struggling with recovery, or if I'm, you know, having a really difficult time accepting my weight gain, then, Oh, maybe I'm not a confident person. I'm just insecure. And we just start labeling ourselves in these big and harsh ways. So the first couple chapters are about like, let's figure out what self love really is and let's break it down so that it's, it's easy to digest right? And Mm -hmm. yeah, that way people aren't stuck (laughs) on all these lacks, because I think that's what I find in a lot of self-help books is that they kind of go so deep and I'm like, well, damn, I suck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I love that you break it down. I love that it's so personal for me, my self-love vision here. I'll, I have it in front of me. I'll read it. So you start with a self-love vision. So that's like the first personal thing that you do. And then you end up helping people like me and all the readers. Um, break it down for themselves and really see like what areas. So mine is um, self-love looks like embrace embracing my abilities, boundaries, quirks, problems, and life. And it looks like being okay with me being me. I'm not bill hourglass. How can I embrace that? Um, How can I be okay? Oops. I want to feel safe in my own body and mind without manipulating my life. According to society, I see myself not waiting around until my shit is perfect to truly start living because that's it. And that all is just because I feel I do have some deep rooted self-worth stuff that I feel like does kind of still kind of take over my day, especially my bad days. You know, like you wake up and you have like a bad day and you're like, I'm going to have a bad day or, I'm going to have a bad week. And it always boils down to this, idea that I can't embrace who I really am. So that was my little self-love vision. So that's what I'm working through. So I figured I would share that I with you that and my much. audience.
1: <laughs> it just means, it means so much to me that you put pen to paper. It's
0: yeah. I
1: got goosebumps. Oh, good um, <laughs> this idea of like just safety and, um, letting yourself be seen a question that's been popping up in my therapy sessions lately is what am I afraid of people seeing? Mm -hmm. Like, what am I afraid of people like, yeah, finding out about me or all about that showing up as our authentic self. And I don't know about, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I feel like since I've conquered like the food and body image stuff, a lot of my self-worth conversations in my head show up around like work.
0: Yes. That's exactly what we were just talking about. I mean, I just took a break from YouTube and or quit YouTube I don't even know yet you know I don't know but yeah I compare myself to influencers all Mm -hmm. day every day I just completely get in that rabbit hole of being like oh my gosh I have to do this and this and it's really hard yeah even with my
1: book I was like oh my god well she's on the today show and Mm -hmm. girl got a cake so I ordered myself a cake yesterday did
0: you see it was really cute it looks I mean, wow, who did that? Like, shout out to them.
1: Yeah, she's great. Just this local gal who makes cakes. And I was oh like, well, gosh. I'm buy myself a cake, goddammit.
0: <laughs> she oh. took the cake.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs>
0: that is funny. Dad um, joke.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely I get in that rabbit hole all the time, especially because just with books, so many people are coming out with books, it feels like, or at least now that I'm in the world, I'm like... Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's both. I think it's like a little bit of both. It's like your awareness shifts. And then isn't that interesting as you as you move on in your life? It's almost like you never actually like figure it out completely, like you think you're going to get to this destination. You just kind of have to adapt Mm -hmm. to your surroundings instead of this idea. I think when we grow up, we think, okay, we're gonna go to school, we're gonna like maybe go to college and we're gonna get this degree, and then we're gonna have this life, we're gonna figure it out after college and have this life. And it's like, not like that. You just, you're just, your life changes and you just have to like go with the flow. And so I'm sure that's true. There are more people writing books, but I mean, I look at you and I'm like, look at her. She's in anthropology. Like she has this amazing, beautiful book. Like, I don't know, to me, I'm like, you should just be living in the success and just feeling that. But I understand that as somebody who has my own self-worth issues. I understand what it's like to get to a place and that place becomes so normal that it isn't it isn't there anymore. like you just want to keep going up the ladder. so I get that.
1: <laughs> Not to get like super geeky, but that is a thing like it's called a hedonic adaptation and it's like literally we enjoy our successes or any happy moment for like a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and then we just kind of adapt and we're like, all right, what's next? <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, I know I love the geekiness of it. I love that that's a word. What is it again? It's hedonic adaptation and it's
1: basically how we adapt to certain levels of happiness. And then they're no longer enough.
0: I love that you've been really, you know, I don't know strategic is the right word, but you've been really uh, careful and conscious about how you share your relationship online. I love that you disrespect your partner and <laughs> that he respects you. And that's really cool. I love seeing your relationship in that way because- it's nice change. It's a nice change, you know, to see somebody really embracing their life and uh, like understanding that not everyone has, you know, this desire to be put out on the internet. And that's, that's good. You know, I have that with Rio, my husband too.
1: No, that's something we've had to figure out too. I mean, I went, I just recently started posting my boyfriend's face on social media, but for two years, like his face was not in it. Um, and it was just a privacy thing because um, yeah, he also has his own business and whatever. And now that our relationship, I don't know, it's just getting more real and real and hopefully we'll get married soon and everything. It's, you know, we made the conscious decision or mostly he made, he was like, Hey, I would feel comfortable being in some of your photos, but I, I still don't want him to be like front and center. And although it is a slippery slope. Cause you
0: know that every time your husband's in something, people, people love it. Mm -hmm. People love him. I mean, yeah, people, I think people just love the idea of having a supportive partner. And of course everyone has that desire. Um, but that's not to say that Rio and I don't have our own problems. You know, we go through a lot and we, there's, why why would I ever want to post? Why would I ever post a video of us fighting? You know, it's like, you never, you know, you don't do that stuff. So there's always stuff behind the scenes for sure.
1: I used to watch those, or I still do. I love the travel vloggers, the mm-hmm. couples, right? And I'm always like, wow, it'd be so cool if like my boyfriend was a videographer mm-hmm. and doing this together. And then I'm like, I feel like that, I don't know. I feel like not everything is what it seems. Like, mm-hmm. like that almost having one person, did you hear that TikTok sound? Like it was like in relationship, there's always one person that is wild and crazy and goofy and out there and another person who is <laughs> boring. <laughs> reserved. Obviously a joke. They're not boring. They're just not as like extroverted and like in front of the camera, right? There's always has to be somebody in front of the camera and someone behind. Um, And I think that that kind of compliment, like it's just worked really, really well for us. And as much as it looks like a fantasy to be like traveling with your boo and Mm -hmm. (laughs) all these glamorous things, I just, I don't think that that's
0: realistic for most. Of course. And I agree with you. I feel that same way that Rio is probably the more reserved, at least reserved in the sense of like being on social media, you know, just being out there. And I know I used to, and he's a video, he's a filmmaker. So I used to be like, come on, like, this is what you want to do. Don't you want to take pictures and videos of me and us? And he's like, no. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, looking back in hindsight, I'm like, okay, that was really selfish of me to assume that he wanted to use his gifts and talents on 100% on me, of course. He takes so many of my pictures. He goes out and does things for me. You know, he, he saved up his money to buy me my camera. Like he supports me in so many ways, but I think, yeah, that, that idea of having this Instagram relationship and Instagram family is it's more tricky than I think people realize it is to get those shots and to get those reels and to get those videos like it takes a long time and a lot of money usually especially if it's a travel situation so
1: yeah, and it's like a production I've thought about it in terms of kids mm-hmm. a lot I share my sister
0: on social media I love sure. that I love your relationship with her <laughs> thank you I
1: I try to like check in with her every time but there's so much that like yesterday we spent the whole day together and almost a single thing because I didn't want her I don't want her to feel like her life is a production or that she always has to perform because I already feel like that and I'm an adult. I can't imagine how it is for little kids' minds, especially with their um, you know, social media being everywhere all I know. the time. Yeah. So I always have to check in with my partner or something. Sometimes like I there's a funny video and I just have to like train myself and remind myself to always ask for permission. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you think it looks cute or if you think it's not nobody would be offended or if you would be okay with it, like getting that verbal confirmation of, yeah, I'm okay with that. Or, um, like, it's just so important, like that consent, because again, people might say that like, Oh, you're overthinking or whatever tiptoeing. But the truth is like, this is uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. handle this. Nobody knows what our photos are going to be used for 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. Um, nobody knows how, like, you know, posting a picture of your baby's face is going to affect their future. I, know. I think about it a lot. Like, I, do I do too. Yeah. I know.
0: It's interesting that we have to ask ourselves those questions. Like, what are we going to do when we become parents? Like our parents didn't have to do that to the point that we do at all. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah. I'm very uneasy about the family vloggers. I really feel like that is super interesting, especially when there's like brand deals involved in stuff. I just... I feel like even for me, like I need, you know, somebody to read all my contracts for me to feel safe. So I just hate. Yeah. Like you said, I don't want to put somebody else in that situation, especially someone younger. So that's really cool that you respect your sister enough to do that and love her enough to do that. I really love that.
1: Thank you. I, tried. I wish there was like um, a book, like, how do you do it? You know, that's a really good idea.
0: Next <laughs> book. <laughs> Next book let's do it. it. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Speaking of book, let's go back to it. Cause I do want to have more questions. You established your, you know, sort of how it became an idea that you wanted to really work on and how you had that. But what about your day-to-day life and like your research? What did that look like for you? How'd you go about doing that?
1: Well, I had a rule for myself um, that I would write two shitty pages a day. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And when I say two shitty pages, I mean shitty pages. Um, I think a lot of people like do time limits, but that doesn't work for me because I'd literally be sitting at my desk, just banging my head against the wall, um, wondering why am I doing this (laughs) and just not, you know, not getting any work done and just trying to meet that time limit. But the two shitty pages was you know, it was a challenge. Two pages is still two pages. Right. And, but it was also like doable. Um, so there are days when you come into two pages and you sit down and you write a whole chapter and those are great. And those feel good. But just like I talk about not attaching too much to the quote unquote bad days. I also try not to attach too much to the good days. Cause I think as soon as we have a good day, like I don't know, for the podcast, when you like batch record and you're like, yeah, I'm like mm-hmm. on a roll and I got all the show notes done and um, I did all my content and whatever, you're like, oh, every day needs to be list- this way. But that's just like, it's just not how our brains work and especially creatives and especially self-motivated creatives. I mean, it's not like we clock in and clock out and get paid either way. Right. Um, especially and with with book writing, it's like authors don't make Anything don't mean
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so it's very much this practice of just motivating yourself and showing up for yourself behind the scenes. So it was very unsexy, especially because um, like I signed the contract in January, so I was writing January, February, and usually I would like go sit in a cafe and I would have my coffee and like you know it was fun. And then March was when lockdown happened, so then I wrote the rest of the second half of the book just. Here mm. in my pajamas, and um, that was also an experience because before then I had this story that I could not work at home and I could not get anything done at home, and now I don't leave the house. Really? <laughs> now I'm getting things done at oh, home. He no. me to go somewhere, I'm like, nah. Mm-hmm. Same. <laughs> it's just funny how we can just like conquer these things. And when I say I had a story that I can't work at home, I mean that. I was literally paying hundreds of dollars to co-working spaces. I was driving around town to find like the best cafe because I just, I felt like I needed a good vibe and I live kind of like in the suburbs far out from the city. And I was just wasting a lot of time, like making up stories and defending my own stories about what things have to be in place in order for me to do work and do good work. Um, and so quarantine really challenged me in that way that I still had to write the book and I wrote it right here. in my <laughs> um, So that was great. Researching wise, um, I think a lot of researching came more so in the editing. I mean, maybe not more so, but, you know, when a lot of what I wrote was like hand experience and you know things that I read or remembered here and there but then when my editor would go in she'd be like hey this would be more powerful if there was a statistic mm-hmm. that word does not sound right but that's yeah, no, that's right yeah mm-hmm. if there was like a fact or a stat here um, or you know maybe another anecdote can go here so yeah that the editing process honestly and I did not know this before writing a book editing felt more. I don't know. It felt like there was a lot of growth in the editing process alone. Mm -hmm. Like I hope everybody gets a chance to write a book or do some kind of long form writing in their lives because it just stretches you in so many great ways. But even having somebody like edit your work or like give you feedback, I mean, that's... Mm it's a roller coaster because sometimes you get the best feedback ever and you're like, yes, I nailed it. And other times it's like, mm, you got it. Like I literally had to rewrite all of chapter four. Mm. Like it was literally thrown out and it was all rewritten. Mm. Um, and that was after like, you think you're done. And then it's like months later and you're like, Oh <laughs> God. Yeah. It. So I'm sure. Does your, your partner
0: go through that? A lot of editing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but I'll ask him if this is okay for me to keep it. I'm sure it is, but he is writing a feature film, his first feature film that he wants to make into a movie. Um, He's done short films and stuff like that. And like brand deals, but he's never done his own feature film. So he's doing it start to finish and he's on his, he's writing his fifth draft right now. Cause what he's been doing is he writes, he writes his movie and then he has, you know, family and friends that he trusts and loves like read it and give back their feedback. So it's been five, four times. This is the fifth time. So it's really changed basically him pulling away from that, like his identity into that and making it quote unquote Hollywood is what like the biggest struggle that I feel like I would have if I were him. And I know that's something that he has, but making something that's like your pride and joy, something like you said before, this is my baby. Like taking something so personal to you and then making it appropriate for like the mass i'm sure that was really difficult for you i can't imagine no it's a,
1: it's a lot even when i'm sitting here like editing my own stuff it just it goes through so many iterations and yeah it's it's a it's a beautiful process again there are obviously there are highs and lows in every creative process but i think overall, the feeling that I got through editing, and I I hope your husband gets this too, to the people (laughs) that that are reviewing his stuff. Um, The feeling that I got was like, I can't believe somebody believes in me this much. Like, you know, when you get, you know, you're back in school and you get a paperback and it just says like 95%. You're like, cool. Mm-hmm. But when you get a paperback and it's like red pen is everywhere, I mean, mm. most people would be like, oh my God, I suck. But when I saw that, actually, I don't know. Hopefully, all people feel this way. When I saw the red pen everywhere, I'm like, my teacher like really invested in me. Mm-hmm. Like, she believes that I could do better. And that's what you really feel in editing. And when you edit your own work, It's the process of, I believe that I can do better, which is why I'm making this there. Again, we're not getting like perfectionistic about it. That's, there's obviously a line, but yeah, it's, it's an overwhelming feeling. Um, I did like a mini vlog on it and I was just crying all through editing because just seeing that Google doc with all those (laughs) comments and edits and suggestions. I'm like, I mean, granted they get paid to
0: do that. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing somebody believe in you that much is like you said, humbling. And I even think that translates into relationships, having this self-talk within yourself or within your relationships of like calling, like not calling people out, but, you know, just having that sort of honest, real talk, even with your friends, not just your partner, but even with your friends. Like I always say, people are like, how can I um, deal with my friends talking about diet culture around me? And I'm like, be that friend, be that friend who is like, let's break this cycle. Like, let's talk about how much we love ourselves and, um, or, you know, just having that loving confrontation in your life. It can be really scary. If you like me grew up rose colored glasses, just like not really seeing the world in that way. And like throwing everything under the rug, but if you can break out of that, I think it's so powerful and so beautiful. And I feel like that's almost like what you're saying your editor is doing. Like this needs to be fixed but it needs to be fixed. Cause I know you can do it. You know, I know you can get there and it will ultimately make you a stronger writer and more empathetic and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So.
1: Well, exactly. The last like very vulnerable heated conversation, boyfriend and I had a few weeks back. Um, we, we got into something it was like an argument and then, you know, when you think that you're over an argument and then you're not. Oh
0: yeah. Oh Yeah. <laughs>
1: um like it came up again and um the theme that we kept reiterating it was like we're having I'm having this conversation with you not because you suck and I hate you but because I want our relationship to be better right Mm -hmm. like otherwise like why would we be doing this um like I could just not bring it up and sweep it under the rug but that would make us both miserable so it's not with any difficult conversation just like you said, even diet culture with your friends, it's like, no, we're, we're talking about this because I know that you're worthy of more. Um, not because you're, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want it's actually the opposite. It's because I really, really badly want this.
0: Yes. I love, I love that. And I totally relate to being in an argument and just being like with your partner and you have to just swallow your pride and be literally, <laughs> and be like, I know we're going to get through this, especially when you're married. I mean, obviously when you're in a very serious relationship, like, like doesn't matter if you're married or not, but I just feel like that really like, okay, we have to figure this out. We love each other. We got this. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, I
1: selfishly want to know, like, did you feel, I don't know how long ago did you get married?
0: A while ago. We got married in 2017. Oh, I mean, so
1: it a minute.
0: It's been a minute. Yeah. I got married when I was in my eating disorder. Yeah. And I used to just be so selfish. I just never saw, you know, always on the defense mode. I'm sure you've been there before. Like just really sort of like, you can't even let anything permeate into you because you're like, no, no, no. I have to protect myself, my eating disorder, my values. I honestly saw Rio, my my new husband as somebody who didn't want the best for me and, Mm -hmm. you know, was selfish. Now that I'm recovered, I can just see, um, how emotionally unavailable I was and how, I don't know, just kind of stuck in my own ways. I was not just with my husband, but with my parents and with my friends even. So, um, I know you can relate to that too. I know you talk about that with, with your sister. It was, it it was really interesting Um, being married and having to go through, not having to go through, but being married and going through recovery, uh, was just quite an experience. I'm so grateful for it. Like I'm obviously so grateful. And I love my husband more than I ever have, if I could even quantify it like that. And I feel so happy in our relationship. Um, but yeah, looking back, I'm like, you weren't very open and weren't very nice. You know, I was just really afraid of, I was just afraid of the world. So, yeah,
1: such a great way to put it. I was just. (laughs) yeah I mean I just living in fear yeah wow I can't believe we've been together through so much <laughs> wow.
0: I know but just same like same with like your sister or if you would have met your boyfriend now back then I'm sure it would have been the same you yeah. know it's just yeah. like I was like you know.
1: I was a bitch as an understatement
0: like I was just really um,
1: like you said just really into myself and thinking that my way was right and that my strive for perfection should be what everybody else is doing and why aren't you, (laughs) you know? Mm
0: -hmm. We talked about this a little bit, but I do want to ask you about productivity and about goal setting that empowers you and not goal setting that, you know, makes you feel like you're unworthy. So do you have any like advice on that or any feelings about that?
1: Yeah, I think I, my whole life, I used to be about big specific goals um, and recently I mean very recently like within the past year or so um, I just don't have as many long-term goals I don't know if it's because of the the time in my life that I'm in where I'm kind of like am I gonna get married and have babies soon <laughs> <laughs> like is it even should I even make all these big grand goals but also I just feel find myself being motivated by totally different things. I mean, I used to be very much motivated by productivity and making the most out of every day and getting perfect grades and making this amount of money by the time I'm this years old, X years old. Um, And just, yeah, having that kind of mindset. Whereas now I'm like, I really want to spend time with my friends, (laughs) like a lot of time with my friends. Like now that we're all vaccinated, my friends and I are planning like week long, you know, getaways in the cabin. Mm. Um, and I find myself being more motivated by that where I'm like, okay, I got to do all these things June, July, because August we're doing this thing. So, um, yeah, as far as goals go, I've been lately, I don't know if this is, I don't think this is helpful to anybody, but I've really been taking it day by day. Um, And this is the first time in my life that I can say that with full confidence. I mean, I do not have another book planned. I do not I don't know. I'm not launching anything else. I'm just kind of being in this moment. Um, And again, this is the first time ever in my life that um, A, I've had like the privilege and the just physical financial opportunity to do that. Um, But B, also just give myself permission to do that, to really hang out. And (laughs) truthfully, like I'm not the best at it yet. Like I still beat myself up. if. I don't feel like I was very, very productive that day, but, um, but I, I just keep reminding myself that I really, really want to learn how to just exist, um, and not buy into the idea that my work is my worth. Mm. Cause that's a belief that I think we've all been just subscribed to, uh, outside of our will and. I think every, I don't think there's a single person I've ever met that does not somehow base their worth off of their work. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are people that are more balanced than others, but I think we all grew up thinking that, you know, working hard and making money (laughs) is just the way to go. And I don't know. I don't
0: know if it is like lately. I'm like, is it? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I love your answer. That's like me right now. And you're right. It is such a privilege to have that. I mean, I know there are people out there who they have to work. uh, They don't have that flexibility where they can be like, oh, do I have a choice to to do this? And like, sometimes their productivity just means making ends meet, which is super valid, obviously, and and necessary. Yeah. Somebody who just said, okay, I'm just going to stop doing YouTube, which doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it kind of was to me. Like, yeah, I just, I just really like, that was like the first time I just really listened to my um, my, myself and I was present and I wasn't thinking a year into the future or two years. And that's exactly what I've been trying to do lately with myself too. Like, I, I mean, no one knows this behind the scenes, but I'll tell everyone, like we had this podcast planned for about a month now. And I sent her the questions this morning. Like (laughs) I just, you know, I'm just so like, Oh yeah, let's do this. Cause this weekend I was really busy with my mother-in-law being here. And I was really present with that. We were over there and my uh, brother and sister-in-law is playing uh, this really fun game called Splendor. I don't know if any of you have played it before. It's really fun. We were playing a game until 11 p.m. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have a podcast tomorrow morning. I should probably go home and, like, prepare. <laughs> <laughs> so my best friend recently
1: made me play that. Could you just recap a little It's like
0: a card game, but it's not really. And you, like, trade um, you do like the- gems. Yeah, yeah, it's like the four with the. Oh. Did you I- like it?
1: I did. I did. I really
0: liked it, too.
1: I found myself like not being able to keep up.
0: I was like, so in my own tunnel that I was like, not even thinking about what other people were doing. And then I completely lost. I think I was last. But are you competitive? I used to be competitive. I'm not anymore. I'm not not the best. I'm just not. Like, yeah, there's a part of me that still is, but I'm totally fine with being last. I mean, sometimes it depends. um, It depends on the situation. I think that's another thing about productivity is that everybody's like
1: striving to be the best, which is great. Like I'm, there are people who are the best at things and that's amazing. Um, but it's also physically impossible for all of us to be the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and That's literally statistically impossible. Like we're average at a lot of things and sometimes just like being the average is like so good. I mean, I, um, yeah, I, I've been doing a lot of things that I'm really bad at intentionally to train mm. myself to be bad at things. So things like dance, like I just started going back to ballet and it's the studio where these dancers, like literally we have dancers from the New York City Ballet. Wow. And my, my dance teacher literally was like, he said something to me like, you're pretty coordinated for a bad dancer. <gasps> I was like, heard, hurt. You're <laughs> like, like, okay. Yeah. yeah yeah I mean he's so he it with the best um, yeah. and I't end it at all but and even like you know we're playing Scrabble and we're awful we're still doing like three letter words and um, I don't know doing things where I can intentionally just not be the best and just do it for fun or just do it because um, it's great and quick little thing going back to your caveat about you know a lot of people are working to make ends meet and don't really have the privilege or the luxury to not work. I think that's the other trap of productivity is that even people who are in that boat mm-hmm. feel ashamed because they're in that boat. And it's like, no, you can go through the motions. You're not getting paid enough <laughs> to mm-hmm. be, you know, super duper, whatever. And, you know, put food on the table, feed your children and, and try to look for a game plan um, or, or, or something that's bringing you joy in between or something that could in the future, replace that income or whatever that journey looks like for you. Obviously it's different for everybody, but I think, yeah, a lot of these narratives on productivity, shame people that mm-hmm. aren't making ends meet. Um, and that's also not okay.
0: You know? Totally. I don't know. I guess a part of me wants to say like, if we're doing our best with what we have, but even that is kind of a lot just to have that narrative in your mind. Like, am I doing my best every single day? Like, just think it's good just to be like, Today is going to be an average day, and that's okay. Or today is going to be a day where I just don't make my bed, or I don't, you know, there's just little things that I feel like people really, oh, I cannot stand those YouTube videos that are like my 6 a.m. productive morning routine. Because, first of all, especially women
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, who, you know, have uh, a menstrual cycle and just people in general, you don't have to be a woman, whatever they need more sleep than men. You need, we need more sleep. We need like at least two hours more sleep. Okay. Just to like function. (laughs) And I'm just like, why, why is this like such a narrative in everyone's mind? Like just sleep in just like, you don't have to go wake up. And I mean, if it empowers you and it makes you really happy every single day, then sure. But I do think I'm so tired of seeing those.
1: Oh, I'm not an early riser. I'm not a morning person. I hate those things with a pa- like a burning passion. <laughs> I think that a lot of our problems would be fixed if we were just more rested. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like is this a problem or am I tired?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, or hungry or something like very of survival. Like I think I just need to take it down, you know, my- just eat some food, take a nap, <laughs> drink <laughs> some water.
1: That Maslow's hierarchy of needs like just meet your basic needs first. Um, And I hate those. I mean, and I I like the people who kind of defy that too. Um, You know, there's like the nap ministry on Instagram, but especially like people of color and um, black people that are just like fighting so much every single day. And then meanwhile, they have
0: to Mm overperform just to be somehow accepted. It's just, it's, it's fucking messed up. It's ridiculous. It's so messed up. Oh, you talked about this before. Um, on your Instagram, and I just would love for you to talk about it with me more and with my audience. So, how do you deal with the negative feedback and the haters? I had a lot of,
1: well, not a lot. I've had a couple one star reviews now, which hurts. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, I think it hurts the most when it's like very particular kind of criticism. Mm-hmm. Like the recent one star review I got was that I was skinny shaming just because I was writing about mm. my experience with wanting to lose weight. She's like, I can't believe you assume that that was everyone's experience. And it was a long thing about how excluded she felt from that conversation. And I'm really deeply sorry that that's what she absorbed from that whole book or that one little part where I talked about my desire to lose weight. But anyways, yeah, that hurts because all I, everything in me wants to like somehow track her down and clarify. <laughs> I think my biggest fear is being misunderstood. Mm-hmm. There. Um, I think I, if somebody's like you're fat and ugly and I hate you and you're stupid and whatever, I'm like, okay, cool. Like not for you, but when somebody it's like, gets really like, I don't know, just really deep into it. I definitely get worked up. Um, and sometimes it does help me to reply. I mean, I had some of my fellow Jewish followers were saying that I was anti-Semitic because, mm what I posted was, I said, I was like, you know, as a Jewish girl, I've always felt ashamed of my dark, coarse, dark hair, just all over my body. And people are like, that's fascist and that's anti-Semitic and whatever. And I'm like, no, you don't, no, you don't get to call me anti-Semitic. That's no. So I, sometimes I send them a voice note or I respond and I'm learning to choose where I put my energy more wisely, but where I'm at right now, like I would rather Clear the air and just let them know what you know, just let them know. Mm -hmm. I feel about that and respond kindly. Um, then be like in internalizing it, like absorbing it because I think that gets to you too. And sometimes, like, sticking up for yourself is important, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just depends. Obviously, if they're trolls, like, I just ignore them, but if it's like I really see the humanness behind it and I really see that they misunderstood me and this girl was also Jewish. I'm like, no, she's not, she's not going to walk away from my page, like firmly believing that I'm anti-Semitic. Like, nah. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I found like a very productive way to deal with haters, but, um, I keep trying to focus on, I, I have a whole folder in my phone where I screenshot all the kind reviews and messages and I put them in that folder and I literally just scroll through them, um, or comments. Like I have a post that I did months ago now, but it was like, why do you follow me? And I still find myself revisiting that post just because there's so many people saying why they do follow me and trying to focus more on that. So yeah, I know it's cliche and I don't have like a very concrete answer, but, um, just still kind of
0: learning. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask you because I want to learn from you too, because I don't have a good, um, good system either. <laughs> so, cause I mean, I do get people who, just on yeah, social media, you know, just don't really understand exactly my intentions. And that is really hurtful to be misunderstood. And I do find myself um, wondering what to do, you know, like there's a part of me that thinks, especially the really specific uh, call outs mm-hmm. where that somebody's really heated. A part of me thinks, okay, this person is probably still in their recovery. And something I did was very triggering for them. Which is a terrible feeling. I would never want to harm my audience in any way, um, but then again, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I can't control other people's triggers. You know, I can't necessarily anything can be a trigger. So it's it's a really tricky spot to be in. And unfortunately, you know, I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, we're not we're not just like makeup influencers, beauty influencers who. Yeah. I don't know, don't have to maybe go as deep and, sure. and go to the core of a lot of people's emotional stuff, um, which I'm glad, I'm glad to be on this side of, of Instagram and, and podcasting, but, um, that was a good answer. No, I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's good that it's honorable and great that you take the time to respond when you feel appropriate and not respond to the trolls because no, nah, that's not, necess- that That <laughs> no, thanks. <Yeah. laughs> um, I used to have this idea of, I just posted it Instagram Instagram. So I used to have this idea that girls who took selfies were just like full of themselves and they just, you know, I don't know, couldn't get enough of themselves. And now I'm like, hell yeah, girl, like you take that selfie, like you look amazing. And I'm like, I need to, I need to have that attitude towards myself and then towards other people too. So I love that. That's great.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Just me, Fishing for compliments. No, like even with my friends or relationships, I'm like, do you like my outfit today? <laughs> I worked really hard. Like if you want yeah. something, don't be afraid to just ask for it. Um, and with responding to comments, like I've actually found that people reply back and be like, I'm so sorry. This makes sense. Thank you for taking the time to clarify. Mm-hmm. i had so many like that. And um, one of my business coaches, she said, Mary, what if your purpose and your kind of like innate gift is to trigger people a little bit Mm. um, is to like kind of break them open in that way as uncomfortable as it may be but I had I've received just a lot of feedback that I've been initially somehow triggering but that's only because people are projecting and I think everybody everybody does that and everybody is on the receiving end of that Mm -hmm. so we're all kind of meant to trigger each other in a certain way Um, just seeing each other as mirrors Um, and sometimes if I hate comments like really does trigger me like personally, personally, I'm like, (laughs) Ooh, maybe there's something here. Right. And that's also, um, really important to acknowledge too. Mm -hmm.
0: I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for amazing. (laughs) Well, where can everyone find you? And besides anthropology, where can, um, everyone get the gift of self love and just stay up to date with you? Um, the gift of
1: self love is, everywhere books are sold. feels so cool to say that. Um, It's on Amazon. It's in Target, Walmart, um, small indie bookstores in your area. They might have it if you call. Um, We also have like a, a list. What is that called? Where they, they compile. I think it's called bookshop maybe or indie something. Anyways. Um, if you prefer to shop small, that's an option too, but Amazon it's on there. Um, and yeah, it's an anthropology and free people, which is cool. cool. Love that. <laughs> and I'm Mary's cup of tea everywhere. I hang out mostly on Instagram. I do a little TikTokking, but it overwhelms me. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I have a podcast called Mary's cup of tea as well, where I dive into a lot of aspects of self-love. Um, and yeah, that's it.
0: Various cup of tea. <laughs> Yay. I love, I love. And the book is so gorgeous. It makes so much sense that you're selling it for people in anthropology. Cause it's like, a, it's an amazing coffee table book. It was meant to be
1: like a gift, like whether you're getting it for yourself or for a friend or a sister or a loved one, you know, um, it's hopefully it'll, it's like a very giftable kind of. It is. It's beautiful.
0: <laughs> okay, girl. Well, thank you again so much. It was so, so nice to talk to you.
1: <laughs> Likewise, Kate. Great to meet you.